Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. So I wanted to start with a pretty well-known verse. And quick question, can you all in the back see that? Nobody's saying anything, so I'm just going to assume yes. All right. So this is a, a pretty well-known passage from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, and I'm, I'm just going to read it. And it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Now, how many of you long for that day? More and more as the years pass, right? How many of you are there yet? No suffering, no struggle, no mourning, no pain. I don't see any hands being raised. John Piper, in his very helpful book, When I Don't Desire God, said this. He said, if we were perfect, if there were no remaining corruption in our hearts, there would be no fight. There would be no obstacles to overcome. We won't fight for joy in heaven, but we are not there yet. And uh, that's the case with all of us. The fight with sin and struggle, uh, I am going to refer to in in this morning, uh, our study this morning, as living in the tension of the already, but not yet. The already, but not yet. Even though we won't fight for joy in heaven, we certainly do here in our few remaining days that we have left. But let me ask this question very smart bunch of people here, and I mean that. Um, What are we fighting for? I mentioned one thing from this particular slide. We're fighting for joy, but what else are we fighting for? Anyone? To be more holy. What else? Peace with other people? Absolutely. It's a fight sometimes, isn't it? What else? For contentment. contentment. Yes, Rick. Fight against cowardice. Okay, I thought you said Calvinists, and I thought (laughs) I'm not fighting against Calvinists. Anyway, very, very true. Fighting for truth, absolutely. Absolutely. Romans 8.13 says that we are fighting to mortify sin. Hebrews 6.1 says we're fighting to strain toward maturity. We're to go on to maturity. We're to leave behind elementary doctrines. The whole book of Proverbs says we're to fight for what? Wisdom. Wisdom. We are fighting to walk to please God 
more and more, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 4. We are fighting to love one another more and more. Again, 1 Thessalonians 4. We are fighting to increase in godly character more and more. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8 tells us that. And many, many other things. And, and as uh, the old Westminster divines said, our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And that is without a doubt a fight. So the next few weeks, we're going to study the believer's union and communion with Christ and how it helps us live in this tension in which we live. We're going to discuss it from many angles, such as what is it? Why is it important? What does it mean? And most of all, how can it help me in this struggle for these these few days that we have left on earth? What I mean by we are living in the tension of the already or not yet is this. All of us who are in Christ are already fully righteous, right? Is there anything that we can add to our righteousness? We are fully righteous through our justification, but not yet through our sanctification. For instance, we're already seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Every one of you. And we're already citizens of heaven, but yet we are pilgrims progressing like how I threw that in there. We are pilgrims progressing through this life, and we're awaiting the full unveiling of God Almighty to make himself known to us in the face of Jesus Christ, where we will be fully then able to glorify him and fully able to enjoy him forever. We will be like him, for we will see him as he is. This living in the tension sometimes makes us, what? Impatient? Sometimes a little dour? Sometimes doubting? And sometimes it can uh, even cause us to lose our faith. In fact, if we're honest, the Christian life, for many of us, can look like this. Now, Not the picture I'm going to show, but this is a little story I'm going to tell. That's my beautiful wife. How many of you have taken a balloon ride before? A few of you. A few of you. So um, a few years ago, we were in what uh, the so-called hot air balloon capital of the world, Albuquerque, New Mexico. And uh, Christy did not know, but I had surprised her with a balloon ride because she had been talking about how romantic it would be, you know, it would, it would, you know, it'd just be so much fun. So uh, we had to be at the airfield at six o'clock in the morning. So we, we had about a 45 minute drive from where we were staying. And so we got up at like, you know, three thirty, four o'clock to be there. And so we get there and, you know, she's looking all good. And, and uh, we get to this airfield and nobody's there. So a few minutes later, a couple guys in a van pull up and then a few other cars pull up. And uh, we get there, I, you know, I guess I was picturing the balloon being ready for us and the red carpet rolled out and we'd step up the stairs and enter and just, you know, float away into the sunset. That isn't what happened. 
So we had to help these guys get the balloon out of the van <laughs> in uh, this basket. And then they had this washing machine-sized box. And uh, that's where the balloon was. So, hey, all you guys, chip in here. We got to unpack it. So it took us about 45 minutes, I would say, to get that fully up. Had to put fans in it and blow this up and do this. And then go through a little safety talk, of course. So then, you know, it was... That's a little scene that, that we saw, a little neighborhood. I know it's not a great picture or scene. It's the only one I had. But uh, nonetheless, it gives you a little idea that we're, we are floating around, and I found out I'm a little bit scared of heights. I'm, I'm being held up by a basket, you know? So I didn't really enjoy it all that much. But we float, you know, we're floating, and it's, you know, we're kind of looking at each other going, eh, yeah, this isn't all that great. So we're about 150 feet probably on our, what is that, the descension, I guess. And um, the, uh, the pilot goes, we're going a little bit too fast here. So everybody, everybody, bend your knees like this. And, and everybody, get, you know, so, so there's six or seven people in the basket, and we're all going, what's going on? He goes, we're coming in a little hot. <laughs> so that's how we ended up. So, true story. I'm going to tell my wife just like a little bit. So, what do you think we have to do now? What do you think we have to do now? So, we've just landed in the desert where all the the cacti and scorpions and rattlesnakes are. We have to tear it down and put it all back together. Get it back in the van. Well, my wife wasn't having any, so she just went to the van. (laughs) She kind of had it, you know. So my point is this, is by my description, would you say that this was a great, wonderful trip? No. No, it wasn't bad, to be honest. It wasn't. We enjoyed it. I'm happy to, you know, say I've done it. Probably wouldn't do it again. <laughs> but it wasn't a terrible experience, but it certainly wasn't exactly what we thought it would be, you know? Is that kind of what it's like in the Christian life? A little bit, maybe, possibly. So for many of us, we met Christ in the gospel. We saw our need. We placed our faith in Christ Jesus. Maybe we started coming to church, or maybe we continued in church. And we'd listen to, to good sermons. We're, we're a new creation. We sing songs. We, we see the Bible and read it differently. We read it in a, a, a more correct manner. Um, But by Monday morning, something's happened for many of us, for me, oftentimes. By Monday morning, we're starting to feel that living in the tension, aren't we? We're somebody completely different. We're, We're not the same person who is singing, in Christ alone, my hope is found. Oftentimes, that's the case. So again, my purpose this morning isn't to stand here and call you hypocrites, because, you know, as the old saying is, you point a finger, you've got three pointing, pointing back here. And I'm not here to scold you and say, where is your faith? But I'm simply trying to give you further evidence that we are all living in the tension of who we already are in Christ, but aren't yet because we don't completely know how to live skillfully and dependently as people who are fully united with Jesus Christ. Perhaps if we're honest we would say that maybe our faith is more like the believers in the church at Ephesus who 
seemingly for the, the sake of the kingdom, were, were very diligent people, but what was their sin? They'd lost their first love. Maybe you, you might be struggling as one like the church at uh, Laodicea, whose faith was neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm. Perhaps, and I don't mean this in a salvific way, but perhaps your faith might be more like the, the stony ground believer who you're very joyful when you hear good things, maybe a good sermon, but just as soon as trial or hardship comes, your faith wanes. Maybe you might be more like the thorny ground believer who's really, your faith is being choked out by the the cares and pleasures and riches of the world. Perhaps uh, maybe you struggle with worldliness, as it says in 1 John chapter 2. Um, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride in possessions. Perhaps you're like Paul in Romans 7. What did he say? He said, the very thing I want to do, I don't do. And that what I don't want to do is the very thing that I do. Perhaps you're like the double-minded man as described in James. James chapter 1, the double-minded man. It's unstable in all your ways. Perhaps you struggle with little faith like Peter did when he stepped out of the boat and was walking toward Jesus. What happened? He saw the waves and he lost his faith. He started to sink. Perhaps you're like the blind man who Jesus healed in Bethsaida. Does everybody remember him? Jesus heals a blind man and he says, I can see, but not clearly. Perhaps if you're honest, you're more like a Pharisee who believes that your righteousness makes you more acceptable to God. Perhaps you struggle with two masters, God and money. It's easy to do in a country where we have so much. Perhaps you're walking joyfully with Christ, counting all your trials as joy, as light and momentary. In everything that you do, you're doing it for the glory of God and in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This study of our union with Christ and its contents is for everybody, no matter where you are in your walk with Christ. And I hope it'll be an encouragement to you no matter where you are. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20, verses 20 and 21 says this, But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So that's what we're going to try to do for these few weeks together, is we're going to try to learn Christ. Not about him, we're going to try to learn Christ. Now, the reason that I chose this subject in this class was, was threefold. So first of all, this is the doctrine that God used to convert me. And I want to share a little bit of my testimony here in, in just a minute. The second reason is it's the principal doctrine that, uh, that God has used in my sanctification as well. It's something that I will consistently run to um, to, to study, to look at. 
And although one can read often about this doctrine in old writings, it's pretty interesting. I know that our church went through Calvin's Institutes in the, in the reading group, and, and uh, I started to join it, and it was just a little, little more than I could do at the time. But I did read the first couple of books, and it is astounding how much Calvin talks about our union with Christ and its importance. But even though we can look through that, it is a doctrine that is somewhat undervalued, underappreciated, underutilized maybe. I don't really know how exactly to say it. But we don't know as much about it as we should as the church of Christ. So um, anyway, Kevin DeYoung is a, a, a young, well-known pastor, preaches at uh, the Together for the Co- uh, Gospel Conferences. But he said this, he said, um, I believe this was from his book, The Hole in Our Holiness, but he said, union with Christ may be the most important doctrine you've never heard. Could be. And um, I know that our church very uh, staunchly stands uh, in the biblical counseling movement, and there's a gentleman named Jim Neuheiser. Is everybody familiar, anybody familiar with him? written some very helpful books, but he said this. He said, understanding your union with Christ is the key to your growth and holiness. Think about that for a minute. Um, I don't believe that there's one secret key to our holiness. God does not give us one key. He gives us a key ring with a lot of keys on it. But it being somewhat underknown and underutilized, under, uh, misunderstood, misapplied. I, I think it's something that can be, be very helpful. So that's why we're looking at this particular topic. Now, just, just a quick condensed version of my own conversion. So in the year 2000, I was, um, I was 31 years old, and I'd been in church basically for my whole life my whole life, from probably the time I was two, year, two years old, two, two weeks old, maybe two days old. I don't obviously remember it. But uh, heard somewhat of a, a, a gospel preached and, and felt my need of Christ, I think, when I was six or seven years old. Walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, made a decision, whatever one wants to call it, was baptized, and that's it. There was really no fruit in my life. Uh, growing up. Uh, morality was always something that was taught and something that was strived for, but nothing really very vibrant. So probably by the time I was 21, 22 years old, guess what? In, in my Baptist church, you just do it again. You know, you just walk that aisle, you feel, oh, maybe that first one wasn't uh, a real profession of faith. I, I don't know. But uh, I definitely felt my need again, and uh, it really did change my life at 21, 22 years old for about two weeks. And then I'm back at the old, the old ways, the old habits. Um, about the time I was maybe 30, maybe, maybe around the time I'm talking, uh, fast forward back to when I was about 31, I can remember sitting in my apartment and uh, this season of life, I had gotten more active in church and begun to, to read my Bible more. And it seems as if the Lord was showing me truth in, in the scriptures. But anyway, one evening I was reading Romans. And um, I mean, how many people have been converted by reading Romans? But um, 
I came across this verse in my King James Bible. And it said, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. It's a little bit of awkward language, obviously. But for some reason, the Lord really gripped me when I saw this planted together in the likeness of his death. I, I didn't know what it meant, not really, but um, I began to read a Bible commentary. I think it was Matthew Henry, but I'm not going to swear to it. But, but whoever the writer was just began to talk more and more about the, what this meant to be planted together in union with Christ. And boom, I mean, it was like that. Uh, I, I'm reminded of the song... And can it be that I should gain by Charles Wesley, where, where he says, um, oh, what did he say? Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. And every time I sing that song, I, I'm reminded of my own conversion because it was instant, just like that. Suddenly, I saw myself as being in Christ. And, um, you know, not everybody's conversion experience is like that. Uh, I think it was D.L. Moody who said some conversions are like a, a flash of lightning and some are more like a sunrise. You know, some, some are slower. Um, for me, it was, it was instant. So Christ had not just taken my punishment because that's all I ever heard growing up is you need Christ to take away your punishment. But not only had he done that, and I finally saw it, he had united his life to mine. And now I had all that was in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. After some moderate growth in my life, I started reading books. Now, I have to tell you, at that time, I didn't, I'd never even heard the term Reformed or Reformation or Puritan theology or anything like that, okay? But I came across these books right here, just for kicks, I threw them up there. But one was The Normal Christian Life by Watchman Nee. One was Abide in Christ by Andrew Murray, and the other is a uh, the Principles of Spiritual Growth by Miles Stanford. Now, before you go out to your bookstore and get these, I will caution you and say that there is some questionable theology in this and things on which that neither I nor our church would agree. Okay? But the one thing that I can tell you that, that really started to come alive to me is how these writers would talk about the importance of our life being united with Christ they were hidden in Christ, and that Christ was the source of our life. Oftentimes we feel as if we're fighting this battle alone. Christ has united his life to yours. And that's the thing that I got more from these books than anything. And it really helped me to grow. Now later on when I did discover a little bit more about Reformed or Puritan theology, if you will. Um, this is a book that I found very helpful. This is a, an old Puritan pastor um, and it named Walter Marshall. And again, from a different perspective than these other guys, I think a more right perspective, the writer spoke of our ability for holiness as being the receipt of the fullness of Christ, having fellowship with him because we are in Christ by mystical union. Now, so enough about my own experience. The, the practical reasons why 
we should have a, a class on union and communion with Christ. Well, first of all, we're a Bible church, right? So is this in the Bible? I want, I want to, to ask for a volunteer. Um, who has an electronic device in a Bible app that you're willing to open up and search for something? Don't everybody volunteer at once? Nobody? Darren's kind of going. Would you look for something for me? Okay. Type in the word in the search box, Christian. And maybe, maybe somebody knows the answer to this. Yeah, just put in Christian. How many times is the word Christian used in the New Testament? Two times. Maybe three, depending on... Three times. Three times. All right, now. Darren, you still with me? Okay, now, now type in the word or the phrase, in Christ. Uh, too many to count, right? 77 times? Okay, so in, in, uh, in the New Testament, either the, the phrase in Christ or in him or with him or with Christ is actually used over 200 times in the New Testament. A hundred, over 160 of those are in Paul's writings. So everybody... In your Bible, Paul wrote about that much of it, maybe 100, what, 120 pages maybe? And on those 120 pages, the phrase, in Christ, or some derivative of it, is used. You think he might be trying to say something there? More than justification, more than eschatology, or anything like that, I think... The true key, this is my opinion now, to understanding Pauline theology is to understand how he views us as being in Christ. Uh, In fact, I'm going to hold up a book here. This is a book I used in preparation. I think it was written in maybe the 1920s or 30s. I'm sure everybody back there can see it, but it's called A Man in Christ. And it's written by a man named James Stewart. He was an Englishman. And it's subtitled, The Vital Elements of St. Paul's Religion. The Vital Elements of St. Paul's Religion. So without quoting him, I'm just saying he basically wrote a whole book on what I just said. That the vital elements of St. Paul's religion is being in Christ. So that's the first reason. Um, One more thing I think about Paul that, that I think... Most of us already know, but, but we know that a lot of his, his epistles are actually written in such a distinct way as to rest upon who we are in Christ in that first half, Just, such as the book that, that is being preached through and ministered to us, um, Ephesians. Ephesians is written in that very distinct way of who the believer is in Christ and the benefits of that before it ever asks us to do anything regarding our conduct. Romans is certainly written that way. Uh, Colossians is written that way. Arguably, kind of, they're all kind of, well, maybe, maybe not as distinct as that. But, but um, 
But anyway, um, a, a good example of that, I think, would be um, Romans. Like I said, we were talking about Romans just a minute ago. But all of these first, you know, the first 11 chapters isn't all about who we are in Christ, but, but mostly many of those chapters. And then we have this little transitional phrase here, right here, Romans 12.1, where he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So he's asking us now to do something, to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, what are these mercies of God? And more, maybe more importantly, what are they rooted in? What are they rooted in? So my argument to you this morning is that all of those mercies that are written about in Romans or Ephesians or anything in Paul's letters, they're all kind of like soil. They're kind of like soil. And all of these mercies of God are rooted in the soil of union with Christ. And they have their growth out of union with Christ. So, I've told you it's all over the, the New Testament, and it's really important, but what does it mean? What does it mean to be united with Christ? That's not something that's easy, and in fact, we're going to try to take a whole class maybe next week and talk about that. But the Bible gives us four metaphors to help us understand what union with Christ is. Does anybody have a guess what one of them is? Yes, sir, Rick. Mystical union. Uh, that's not a metaphor, but that is a description of what it is. Any guesses? The vine and branches. There we go. The vine and the branches. Where is it? Where do we find that? John. John chapter 15. How about this one? What is this? The head... And the body, the head and the body are united, right? If they're not, there's no life. This is actually my wife and I on our wedding day. I put on a little weight since then. Um, husband and wife, we see that union as being a description of Christ and his church. Where do we see that? Quiz. Ephesians, what chapter? Five. Chapter 5. Very good. And then this last one. What do you think this is? Building and cornerstone, right? What happens if we don't have a cornerstone in a building? It falls down. Absolutely. Well, let's look at the vine and the branches as, as a metaphor here. So this is a metaphorical picture of the process by which we are united with him, or at least an example of how we are united with him. We are, which part of that are we? We're the branches, so we've got the, this, this grapevine growing across, and we are the branches. So what's happening as branches, as members of the vine? What's happening to us? We're grafted in. What's, what's also happening to us? We're being fed. We're being nourished. What if one of those branches 
breaks off and falls to the ground. It's dead. It's dead. John minces no words. He says, abide in Christ. Well, actually, Jesus said this. I'm sorry. So he said, abide in me and I in you. Without me, you can do nothing. And if you read more of that, I think those branches that are dead are gathered up and and burned into a fire. It is essential that we continue to abide in Christ. So here's here's another picture. Um, I studied horticulture, and I wanted to say it like that, so you'd think, man, he must have gone to college for that or something. No, I studied it for about five minutes while I was preparing for, for the class. But it, it's, it's pretty interesting that... Um, I don't, this has nothing to do with the lesson, but... And maybe all of you know this, but it fascinated me. Orange tree growers will, will plant a really, really strong tree. Like, I don't know. Like an, let's just say an oak. We think of an oak as being strong. And then they'll lop it off really short, maybe this tall. And then they'll graft in the orange tree on top of that. That's pretty cool. Now, why do you think they do that? The root will be stronger. There's tropical storms in Florida and hurricanes, so it'll be stronger. But, but the other thing is they'll lop it off fairly shortly. Why do you think that is? So, so now our branches are growing about right here. Why do you think that is? You can reach it makes it easier to pick. You can grow apple trees the same way. I had no idea. Like I said, that had nothing to do with the lesson. This, this picture here is really interesting. So this is the process of grafting, evidently, uh, in my five-minute study in horticulture. And the, the part that's being grafted into is called the rootstock. And, and the part that is being engrafted into the rootstock is the, I believe you pronounce it, scion. What is it? Scion. What did I say? Scion. Emphasize the O. Sorry. I'm from Indiana. That's just how we talk. So what we see here, we see this scion grafted into the rootstock. That's, that's a picture of us in Christ. You know, what this immediately took me to and, and, and just thinking about is when we talk about our regeneration, what is the typical passage that, that we will go to that talks about our regeneration? I know you all can't read my mind, but, but Ezekiel 36, right? Ezekiel 36 tells us that he, he took out what? He took out a heart of stone, and he put in a heart of flesh, right? But what about Ephesians 2.5? And I apologize, I don't have it memorized, so if somebody will look it up for me, I'd appreciate it. Ephesians 2.5, I should know it. I should have written it down. Okay, so he made us alive together with Christ. That's a picture of our regeneration by this vital union that we have with Jesus Christ. Do you see how that works here? This is what's been done 
for everyone who is in Christ. We have been engrafted into him. We don't just have a new heart that's softer. We have Christ. We have Christ. Right. The work of Christ had to be accomplished before we could be added to him. Very true. Oh, brother. Marilyn wanted to know if she could ask a horticultural question. Well, sure. Let me give you some of my vast knowledge. Okay, what I'm thinking of is here you got the oak tree severed. Okay. You, you went to the well once too often, okay? I don't know. Pardon me? The Cambrian zone must be regenerated and must connect with new people. That's the time required. There you go. I don't know. Talk to Dan after, after this. Our attachment is our faith, and the Holy Spirit supernaturally causes life to happen. So in this illustration, the tissues connect. I don't know how long it takes, but um, there's life-giving nutrients to the new creation. The Holy Spirit is kind of like there's, there's tape that goes around there. That's, that's kind of the work of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? To preserve our faith with him. Be encouraged, believer. I mean, this is, this is good stuff. It, I, I would say that especially if our faith is weak. So here's, see how we're doing on time. So here's a couple of practical examples. I kind of gave you a a picture here, but um, I I mentioned being in New Mexico for this wonderful balloon trip that that we were on. Um, That's where my mother's family is from, is from New Mexico. So every summer we hopped into the back of the car, my brother and I and my mom and dad, and we took a seemingly like an eight-week trip to get there. And... um, but we would get there, and I had cousins, and I had aunts and uncles, and I had a, a, a grandmother and grandfather that I rarely saw, only during those summers, and we would, we would interact with one another, and, and they were very festive people, and very warm and embracing, and I can remember loading up the, the luggage in the back uh, of, of the car, and getting in there and saying our goodbyes, and I had this just lump in my throat. And it may have even been a little misty-eyed, and I, I didn't want to leave. Why didn't I want to leave? Well, I was united with these people. I was united with these people through blood. And I enjoyed abiding with them and having sweet communion with them. So that's maybe a little bit of a practical way that we can look at our union and communion with Christ. Another way that maybe we could do that is... I don't know how many sports fans we have in here, but let's just say that you like the Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> just, just, I pulled that one randomly out there. Uh, <laughs> and you would call yourself a fan, which is really short for fanatic, but we won't go there. <laughs> but every time your favorite sports team wins... Or loses, how do you feel? Like, you're depressed for a couple days sometimes, aren't you? If you're really that much of a sports fan. 
What have you done? You've united yourself to that team and to their success or their failures, right? In fact, so much so that how many, how many of you actually say this? We won last night. Like you threw a pass or, <laughs> or caught one or blocked somebody or tackled someone. You know, you didn't do anything. But emotionally, right, we did. Or maybe you have a favorite movie, and you could play that movie a hundred times, and you still relate to such and such a character so much that you still cry or laugh or whatever. Every time you see that movie, you've united yourself to them, and you've enjoyed that communion that you have with this fictitious character. I didn't mean that in a negative way. I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm, I've done it too. Um, in the same way, God has united us to his beloved son by the Holy Spirit through faith. And those are the facts of who we are in Christ. And those facts are unwavering. We can never become more united with Jesus Christ. Never. How many in here have been married 30 years or more? Raise your hand. Okay, so Dan, Debbie, since you're closest, are you more married today than you were back then? 30 or however long ago? How many years? 42 years. You're not more married now, are you? But I'll bet you, you can finish each other's sentences and know what each other is thinking, right? So you're able to enjoy it. You know it more. That's our communion with God, is we know Christ more and more. We, we are never more united with Christ, but we can enjoy that sweet fellowship with him. Union with Christ might be something that is critically missing from how you see yourself as a believer. I, I mentioned, I know it was mine. I say it was, and sometimes it is something that's missing in how I see myself. You, how we see the gospel working in our lives. And I started this morning talking about struggles, about living in the tension between our eternal position in Christ and the realities of our day-to-day moment by moment, seven day a week enjoyment of that position of who we are in Christ. Sorry about that. So who you are in Christ and your communion with him might be a real help to you in overcoming that struggle. Union with Christ is the cause of all other graces that we are made partakers of. We, we speak often about needing grace in our lives, right? Well, union with Christ is the cause, or as I said before, the soil of all of those graces where they are, are um, coming out of. A little quote that I have. I don't know if anybody else has like a Mount Rushmore of old writers or preachers that you like, but, but John Owen would be on my Mount Rushmore, though he's kind of hard to read sometimes, but he said this about our union with Christ. He said, union with Christ is the cause of all other graces, which we just said, that we are made partakers of, 
They are all communicated unto us by virtue of our union with Christ. Hence is our adoption, our justification, our sanctification, our fruitfulness, our perseverance, our resurrection, and our glory. All right, so as we close this morning, I wanted to say this. Obviously, just to repeat in summary, this is an important Bible doctrine. Agreed? Some definitions, and I'll let you all maybe help me with this. So somebody define union. Somebody define union. I know you're going, you're the teacher, you do it. Define our union, just quick. Anyone? Two or more becoming one. Beautiful. Thank you. Christ in you. That's right. Absolutely. Yes. When I first became a Christian in my 20s, I came across a saying that meant a great deal to me like that. And it was, Christ is closer now to you than you are to yourself. Christ is closer to you now than you are to yourself. I think that's a quote from someone. It is. Like somebody famous. Who was that? It wasn't me. (laughs) All right. So our union is the fact, right? It's the fact. It's like our marriage. We are married. We're either married or we're not married. You're either united with Christ or you're not united with Christ. So that's the fact. What about our abiding I want to take a shot at what it means to abide in Christ. To live in Him, to rest in Him. Nope. Because that's my next question, Rick. To cling? That's a good one. To, to continue in Christ? To dwell with Christ? I think are some of the more maybe more literal meanings of of what it means to abide. And then what is our communion with Christ? What do you... Supernatural? It's absolutely a gift. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I say communion, communion is the enjoyment of Christ. That's our communion. Like I was telling you about my family that lived out west, I enjoyed them. I really enjoyed them and I longed to see them again the next summer and take that eight week car ride out there. <laughs> Two more things and I'm just kind of giving a little preface to, to next week. So union with Christ expands all the way from eternity, I don't know which way I'm going here, but from eternity past to eternity future, all the way. Can't get any more than that. And how about this? Union with Christ is directly tied to every aspect of our redemption, every aspect of our redemption, our election, our predestination, our justification, our regeneration, our sanctification, our adoption, any other word that ends in T-I-O-N. It's rooted in Union with Christ. So, how? Well, I'm not telling you today. You'll have to come back next week. 
Uh, that's all I have for you today. Does anybody have a question before we close? Let's pray. Father, how great it is that <clears throat> you have taken unworthy sinners and placed them in, in fellowship and in perfect union with your beloved Son. Help us, God, to understand that more. Help us to understand all of the, the many and vast benefits we have with our union with Christ. Help us to share those with one another, to build each other up in love as people who are in Christ. Father, we, we turn toward um, our worship service now, and we ask that, um, first of all, that, that you would be pleased, that in a very real way we are able, though you don't need it, we are able to minister in a very real way to you with our songs, with our hearts, glorifying your Son in what we're doing, whether we pray or read Scripture or certainly in the ministry of the Word. We pray that, that you would be glorified and that you would receive it um, well from, our, from us. And we know that uh, even our worship um, is tainted this morning. So we thank you for our great high priest and our mediator, Christ Jesus, who will sanctify this work. We, um, we just thank you um, for the ability to gather together freely this morning and to worship and to delight in you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.